Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. How's everybody doing this morning? Leah said you're a little sleepy. Do you feel a little sleepy this morning? You know, I walked out past her and I said, how are they doing? She said, a little sleepy. So I'm going to pray for you all to wake up. Can we do that? Let's do that. Father, thank you so much for this, this family. Thank you that you are faithful to this family. Lord, we long to be awake to you in such a way that we rise up as great warriors for the cause of your kingdom. And yet, Lord, there is a slumbering spirit, a spirit that seeks to oppress us and push us down and keep us unaware of who you are and what you're doing. But thank you, Lord Jesus, that you who live in us is greater than he who is in the world. And you have given us the victory, so we proclaim victory today in the name of Jesus Christ. We boldly proclaim that you are our God. We are your people. And we shout for joy, Lord God, because of who you are and because of what you have done for us. Lord, we proclaim that the days are getting darker. We see evil encroaching all around us, yet you are our Savior. And we thank you, Lord, that while the war rages on, you have shown us the final chapter, and you win. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. well, if you've been with us, you know we're in this crazy series. Oh, you know what? I got to actually do announcements. All right, I forgot about that part. So a couple things. One, ministry team meeting, very important. Please put this on your calendars. Monday, November 5th, we're going to be together for dinner. I think it starts at, what's that say, 5.30? Yeah, dinner at 5.30, and I think the meeting's going to kick off at 6 then. The ministry team at Grace is anyone who serves here in any capacity. So if you're, you know, in the Dream Center team over there, or if you work on the Usher team here, if you're in uh, Grace Kids, or you're in Awaken, if you wash a coffee pot, if you do anything, ushers, greeters, whatever it is, if you serve in any capacity here at Grace, worship team, all of it, you are part of the ministry team. Now, by the way, this is also open to those who want to become a part of the ministry team. If you're really engaged here at Grace and you want to know what's going on, this is a time where we're going to communicate some, some of the inside kind of stuff that God is showing to us, cast vision for the future, and, 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 and kind of review finances, so on and so forth. So all are welcome to come to this time together. And we'll have some pizza out here in the cafe. I think that's what we decided on, right? Pizza, and then we're going to do uh, the meeting in here at 6. We'll have some worship, and we'll have a great time together. So please put that on your calendar. In addition, this night of worship and prayer, October 21st, I think God is revealing that it is more and more significant that we are doing this together. You know, when we plan stuff, we, we don't really know what we're doing. I hope that instills confidence, you know, in you for us. We really don't. All we're trying to do is listen and obey. Listen and obey because there's no better way to be happy in Jesus, right? And so... So we're just trying to listen and obey, but now as I see this date and I understand what's going on in the culture and some of the other things that's happening around us, it's going to be a very significant time for us to lay hands together on the region, for us to pray that God would put the land in our hands as his people. And so I'm asking you to please come forward during this time to be with us that night and invite friends, please invite friends to come as well. Very excited about this time together. October 21st. Okay, now I get to talk about the message. So um, this week, we're in week five, but word four, the word Shabbat. And you know if you, Shabbat, yeah, you guys know that one, right? Um, 
If you've been with us, you know that our objective together is to seek the Lord in such a way that we gain greater freedom, boldness, confidence, joy in the Holy Spirit. That we're actually experiencing freedom in a way that's been unprecedented before. So that our worship for him becomes visible to the world around us. Now remember, we've said that not everybody's demonstrative, not everybody raises their hands, not everybody dances. But the question is, are you free to? If the Lord calls you to, are you free to show the people around you that you love him, that you are passionate for him because of his passion for you? If we follow Jesus, we cannot remain the same. Now, I don't know about you, but I think things are changing around here. Anybody see things changing around here? Yes, yeah, some people do. So, so here's a couple of things I wanted to share with you. The first one was I challenged the staff in the beginning of the year to re-up, to recommit. And I draw this little circle. I talk about it almost annually, and I say it's time for us to recommit, because all of us can become disillusioned. The question is, are we going to choose to love one another the way that Jesus loves us, and are we recommitting to serving the purposes of Christ here at Grace Fellowship Church? I challenged them to do that, and I talked about revival. Alex Gilbert came to me a couple weeks ago in staff, and he said, you know when you told us to recommit? He said, we have. And you know when you talked about revival? He said, it's happening. So on a staff level, when I hear stuff like that from Alex, I'm like, okay, Lord, you can take me home now. Like, that's awesome. Like, that's a proclaimed word from a brother in the Lord who loves Jesus Christ, and he proclaimed that word. Last week, at the end of the 11 o'clock service, a young lady came up to me, and she said, what's happened here? I said, why? What are you talking about? She said, I haven't been here for like four or five months. She said, this place is like completely different. She's looking around. She's going, it's alive here. And so, like... I want you to know that God is doing things amongst us. And there is a way, an awakening that's happening. If you're not in touch with it, I pray that you would become in touch with it. Not only that you'd become in touch with it, but that you would be a part of it. You see, that Jesus would be awakening in you this passionate and loving response to the reality of who God is and who we are in him. We're not talking about ginning people up from the outside. We're talking about an inward reality that becomes physically visible. You are in touch with the fact that God is a good God. Praise the Lord, my soul, almost, almost in me, and praise his holy name. David is in love with God. The question is, do you know God's character enough to be in love with him? But at the same time, then, it's not just, just his character. That would be enough. But it's what he's done for you. You have a new identity in Christ. And if you embrace that new identity, if I embrace that new identity, there is such reason for joy and celebration because of who we are in Christ. So we've decided to look together at these seven words. And I'm going to go ahead and have you stand up today. I didn't have you stand last week. So you're standing today. Come on, stand up. And we're going to go through these words together. And uh, we're also going to then just go ahead and say the scripture after it as we walk through our seven words. Remember, today we're on word four, Shabbat. Okay, ready? Let's go. Yada, may all the peoples praise you, O God. Halal, <laughs> let them praise his name with dancing. That should be his name, not him name. That's like the hood kind of nomenclature there. Let them praise him name with dancing. All right, ready? Todah. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Shabbat. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Barak. Prayer shall be made for him continually 
and daily shall he be praised. Zamar, on a harp of ten strings, I will praise to you, sing praises to you. Tahila, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. All right, give Jesus a round of applause, please. All right, you can go ahead and sit down. So, again, I hope you have the refrigerator magnet. You know, I think we still have some packets out there at the Welcome Center. Um, this is the packet we distributed with the booklet and some other things in the back. Does anybody need one of these, didn't get one? Come up and get this one. I'll just lay it up here for you. Yeah, it, it, these should be out there at the Welcome Center as well. There you go, sister. Um, and so, again, an opportunity for you to continue to kind of you know, follow along or jump in where we are. And today we're going to look at this word, Shabbat, which is a very, very powerful concept. Um, when you come to Jesus to be trained as a worshiper, you immediately go into training as a warrior. I want to say that again. When you come to Jesus Christ, to Yeshua, and you allow the Spirit of God to fill you, you go into training as a worshiper because all of life is worship. When you know Jesus Christ, every aspect of your life is worship. It's not just singing or shouting or dancing. It's everything you do is a passionate and loving response to the reality of who God is and who you are in Him. But that act of worship unto God is also a weapon. Because when you worship God in spirit and in truth, forces of evil around you cringe and scream and flee. Because nothing that is evil can stand in the presence of our God. Nothing. So why is worship such a powerful weapon? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. Say that after me. God inhabits the praises of his people. When we come together as his people and we worship him in spirit and in truth... God manifests his presence in a way that is different than when we are alone. Now look, God's presence is always with us. As good evangelicals, we've been taught that scripturally very true. God's presence is always with you, for you, and in you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. But that's different than the Shekinah glory of the Lord. That's different than the manifest presence of God. God manifests himself in the presence of his people when we worship him together. And nothing evil can stand in his presence. So we're not really worshiping worship. We're worshiping the one we worship. We're worshiping the Yahweh, the one true God and Jesus Christ, his son. We are worshiping them. And when we do, we immediately become warriors in the kingdom of God. And every warrior who is trained well knows how to boldly proclaim the name, the goodness, the power, and the glory of God in the midst of battle. You are in the midst of battle right now. Now, if you don't know this, you got to wake up. Because you are in a spiritual battle every moment of every day of your life here on planet Earth. Now, one day that battle will be won. And it will be over. It's already won. It'll be over. But right now, you are in the midst of great spiritual warfare. The question is, do you know you're a warrior and are you being effective for the cause of the king? If you are, 
You will know how to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, to shout for the glory of God, to shout in the midst of the battle the truth of who God is and who you are in him. Now today we're going to look together at perhaps the greatest shabaking story of all time. You got to guess at what it is? It's Joshua and the walls of Jericho. But before we get there, I just want to read a couple of scriptures for you that relate to this concept of proclaiming loudly or shabaking the works of Lord. One generation commends, that word is shabak, your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Multi-generationally, you and I as warriors for the kingdom of God shout to this next generation the, the mighty acts of our God. We shout Shabbat for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music, Psalm 98.4. My lips will shout Shabbat for joy when I sing praise to you, whom you have delivered. May those who delight in my vindication shout Shabbat for joy and with gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servant, Psalm 35. Shout Shabbat for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praises glorious, Psalm 66. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout Shabbat aloud to the rock of our salvation. And Ezra, at the laying of the foundations of the house of God, he said, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout, Shabbat, of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. You see, the scripture is filled with bold declarations of who God is. And you have inside of you the living word of God, the Christ. And is, the question is, is he being given reign in your life to shout to you and shout through you, to boldly proclaim the truth of who he is and who you are in him and his coming kingdom? This story of Joshua, I believe, is a great example for us to learn from together. Now, I want you today, if you have a Bible, I just want you to take that Bible out. If you have your cell phone, I guess you can take that out. It's really not the same, but, but take your cell phone or your Bible, whatever you're going to read from today, because we're going to be in Joshua 2 and Joshua 6, and I want you to take this and I want you to hold it over your head. I want you to hold your Bible over your head. Now put it right over your head like this, because you are under the Word of God. Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you and we thank you for your holy Word that is alive, that is a lamp unto our feet. Lord, we thank you that your word is a sword sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing joint and marrow, revealing to us the motives of our heart. And we now submit ourselves to your word, knowing full well that there are so many things in here that lead us to a place of being troubled in our spirits because we don't understand. But Father, you are the great revealer. You are the one who brings revelation. So we pray for revelation for your word by the power of your Holy Spirit would come to us now as your people. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word that truly is a gift unto us. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you, Sunday is not enough time for you to get an injection from the word of God. Please be spending time in the word of God at home daily. And as I've been digging into this scripture, I never really realized that this series would be an Old Testament survey. I didn't know that coming in. That's just another thing that God said, hey, surprise, we're doing an Old Testament survey and, and the Old Covenant. And so we've been every week in an Old Testament s story. And today we're going to look at this story in, in Joshua. Um, 
I'm going to start in Joshua 2. I'm going to read large chunks of scripture today. Joshua 2 and, and Joshua 6. I figure, you know, I'm kind of feeling a little under the weather today, but the word of God never returns void. Amen? So I just figure we'll just read more of God's word, and that way we're just, you know, covered. So <clears throat> I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll be interjecting along the way. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shedem. I pronounce it that way because the other pronunciation is just kind of rough. But go look over the land. He said, especially Jericho. Now stop, what's going on here is that they are now entering into the promised land, right? Been wandering around in the desert all those years, and Jericho is standing in the way of them claiming the promised land. Now, Jericho was a fortified city in an amazing way. We're going to look at it, but it was impenetrable by human standards. No question about it, impenetrable. Nobody could get into Jericho at that time. And he said, but look, go look over the land. Now, I want you to circle the word land, because to a Hebrew, land was extremely important. Land signified the favor of God. And so Jericho, he said, I sent these spies out, and go, go spy this out here. So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, this woman, by the way, is in the hall of faith in Hebrew 11. She's actually in the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew and the genealogy. She's a prostitute. Does that mean there's any help for you, any hope for you and me? Like, amen, right? So the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So he's like, hey, bring these guys out. Now, she's already in a place of conviction, She's already in a place of repenting, and she's already seeing God in these guys. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, uh, Yes, the man came to me, but I did not know where they came from. That's not true. At dusk, when it came to close the city gate, they left. That's not true. I don't know which way they went. That's not true. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. So she's saying, Hey, uh, I don't have anything to do with them. By the way, they're already gone. She's acting on behalf of of God. So, but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks, uh, the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road, that's called a goose chase, and then that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, listen, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Who told Rahab that? Who spoke to Rahab's heart? It was Yahweh. Yahweh revealed this to this prostitute. Now, we've talked about this recently, but those of us who are low, we get low enough to look up. And Rahab was considered the lowest of the low. And yet she's hearing from the Most High God about the people of God. And she said, I have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shio and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of this, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She is worshiping Yahweh. Now look, 
you got to understand what's happened here. The testimony of God's hand moving among the Israelites has spread through testimony and story. People have been shabaking the story of God throughout the regions, and it's spreading around. And so she says, look, I've heard the story of how your God did this. I've heard the story of how your God did this. We've heard these stories about your God, and we are filled with fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Scripture says in Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of their testimony. The stories of God at work here have raised a holy fear among the enemies of God. You have to understand this. To be someone who boldly proclaims the goodness of God, you have to understand that when you truly in spirit boldly proclaim the goodness of your God, the enemies of God tremble in fear. They may not appear to, but they do. So now she's worshiping Yahweh in verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by, by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to me and that you will save us from death. Listen to what the spies say in 14. Our lives for your life. That's significant. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. That rope is significant. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. That's also very significant. She said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days. That's significant. Until they return. And then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us. They're cutting covenant. These are the terms of the covenant. Unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother, and your brothers, and all your family into the house. Why would God record the color of the cord? This is called the scarlet thread. And the scarlet thread is the thread that runs in through the entire scripture from all of Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's God's plan for blood covenant. And when man sin, when mankind sins against God, God is the first murderer. He sheds the blood of an animal and he covers mankind with the skin. Knowing full well that one day he will come back and die on a cross and shed his blood to cover us with his righteousness. But this thread is throughout the whole thing. So no God-fearing Jew would know to hear this story and not think about the doorposts in Egypt. The Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb shed and put on the door as a marker to save the one inside. Can I give you a little hint? We are Rahab. We are Rahab. We live in an adulterous and sinful generation. We live among a people of unclean lips, and yet God has sent his son to die for you and to bring you back into the family of God. We are Rahab. We are an adulterous people saved by the grace of God. So the men said to her, this oath you made swear us, unless you enter the land, you've tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your family into the house, if any of them go outside into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible 
As for those who are in your house with you, their blood will be on our head if the hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath. That's another word for the covenant you have made us swear. She said, agreed. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in her window. It's a mark. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to the Joshua son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. They saw the sign of God being fear in the enemies of God. Now, this whole story is given in the context of God's holiness. God is holy. God is perfect. He is set apart. There is none like him. He is perfect in every way, pure, and God cannot let anything unholy into his presence. For if anything unholy comes into his presence, it will immediately burn up or vaporize spiritually, physically, in every way, because God is holy. Now, you have to understand the culture of Jericho to understand the story of Jericho. God had been patient with this pagan culture and he had withheld judgment for over 400 years. Go to Genesis 15, 16 and you can see there a reference to God's patience with his culture. But their iniquity was coming to fullness. I don't know exactly what that means but I can tell you this. Despite the frequent abominations of idolatry, child sacrifice, gross immorality, occultism, and witchcraft, God had been withholding his judgment from the people of Jericho. And along comes Joshua. And Jericho now is standing in the way of the promised land. Now, Jericho's inhabitants, they knew about God. They knew about him. They had heard the stories of him. They had every opportunity to come to him, but only one. Rahab actually repented. That should speak to us about the culture. The gate is narrow, and those who enter it are few. Joshua 6, we're going to jump ahead now. Joshua 6, turn over to Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Stop. It's a fortified city. I mean, this city, you're going to see a picture of like kind of what it looked like, but it had walls that were super high and super thick, multiple walls. This thing was impenetrable based on human standards. Today, maybe with some RPGs, we could start poking holes in it, but they didn't have those back then. And so here, Joshua comes to this place. It's securely barred up, and the Lord says to him, See, I've already delivered it into your hands. I don't know about you, but I'm standing there, I'm Joshua, I'm like, God, really? Like, you haven't done anything yet. But God said, no, believe me. My promises are always good. Trust in me. I've already given this into your hand. Now, Joshua is a man of faith, of great faith in God. So he does outlandish things for the glory of God. Because he says, if I hear from God, I'm going. Even in the midst of many, many other people that were scared to death of taking the promised land, Joshua was one of the two men that said, no, I have faith in God. I will trust in the Lord my God. I will shabak for him. I will declare his goodness, his power in this time. So march around the city. 
with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have the seven priests carry the trumpets of the ram's horn in front of the ark. That's called the shofar. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Now, by the way, they're carrying the ark, and we'll get to that in a second. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shabak, a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and he said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And the seven priests carried the trumpets in front of it. Now remember, a couple weeks ago we talked about the ark of the covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was very, very sacred. This was not only the place that held the presence of God, but it was the place of intimacy with God, the place of a conversation with God. And so the, the, Joshua and the nation of Israel are saying, God's presence must go with us, or surely we will die. But with him, all things are possible. And so, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and the seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark. Then Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went before, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. Now listen. Trumpets are significant. Jeremiah 6, 17 says, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. The whole time these trumpets are being blown, Jericho could have responded to the goodness of God. Jericho could have done something, but all they did was what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They hid themselves. You see, the trumpets are being blown, but Jericho would not hearken. Can I tell you that trumpets are incredibly significant throughout the whole of the Scripture? Can I know that Revelation eleven fifteen? Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices, that's Shabbaking in heaven, saying this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You hear what's going on here? It's the seventh angel that blows the trumpet. You see, God is writing this incredible story throughout all of history about his goodness. So take up the Ark of the Covenant, and the seven priests carry it in front. So Joshua spoken to the people. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant followed them. And the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard falling at the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark carried around the city, circling it once, and the army returned to camp, and they spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard following the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be a foot soldier in the army of God? You return to camp and you're, you're hanging out in your tent. You're going, we're doing this again tomorrow. Frankly, I would say, this is a little bizarre. This is a little unusual. 
this is not exactly what I would expect for a winning game plan. God, you're, not, you're telling us to be completely quiet. We're blowing these trumpets, but we're not even like heckling these people. God was fighting the battle. God released them according to his Sabbath principle that goes all the way back to Genesis, the seventh day. And he's releasing them saying, you know what? All you need to do is enter my rest. I'm going to be the one that actually give this into your hand. You just, just know that I love you. Just know that you are my people, and I will give this under your hand. This land will be yours. So on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest shouted, sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I'm just going to stop there for a second. Um, would we be able to make a holy roar right here? Would you be willing to participate in a holy roar for the glory of God? Something, let's put yourself in the place of a soldier, a foot soldier in the army of God, proclaiming the goodness of God at Jericho. And you've been with Joshua now. You're in the seventh day of marching this thing around. And he finally says, now shout. You ready? Now shout. Yeah. You know, that was probably a two or a three. We're just going to try it again. You ready? Now shout. That's pretty good. It was short, but it was powerful. So they shouted. Now, can you imagine what it was like to be inside of Jericho and hear that? Man, these people were already like melting because of fear. And now you hear the people of God screaming for the glory of God after seven days of silence. Just trumpets. Just trumpets. Do you not think Satan knows who Jesus Christ is? Do you not think that demons know who Jesus Christ is? Do you not think that demons know that Jesus Christ live in you? They know all that. The problem is we don't know it. The problem is we don't understand this. God has given us the land and we are his people. He is our God. We need to start acting like it. And this is what they're doing they're acting as the people of God. So he says, shout, for the Lord has given you the city and city that is all that is in it to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab and the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent, the woman with the scarlet cord. The woman covered by the blood covenant of God. You and I, we are Rahab. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. This people was a people given over to pagan gods. This people was a people that could not infiltrate the people of God. The people of God needed to infiltrate this people. But the people of God, if they were infiltrated by this people, it would hurt them. This was God's protection on the people of God. Now, we know later on that Achan was the one that did not obey. Otherwise, they would make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it, which is what happened. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They went up into the city, the scripture says. They devoted the city to the Lord, and they destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, old, young, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. 
I want to stop here. There's two ways that you can process what just happened. Some people that I meet in the body of Christ are just indifferent. Say, well, that's just God. He just wiped them all out. No big deal. And I want to say to you, I think that your heart might be hardened. Other people are like, well, that can't be God. We need to change the scripture there because God could never do something like that. Could he? Oh, oh no, yes, he did. He did. He's holy. And he takes sin very, very seriously. Very seriously. But when you read a line like that, if your heart does not break, you might need to check yourself. At the same time, here's the reality, the truth behind this. It's not really hard to understand why God would have everybody killed. What's really hard to stand is why while any of us are really still living. What's really hard to stand is why God doesn't just wipe out every single one of us. Because if you understand what sinfulness means, if you understand the deceitful inclinations of your own heart, we deserve death. And that's a truth that will liberate you. That is a truth that will set you free if you embrace it. But so many of us are like, Jeff, really, like, even women? Oh, gosh, please, let's, let's just talk about this for a second. I love women. I've always loved women. I'm a man, okay? I love my wife, and, and I love everything that God has created in, in the genders. But gender does not equal depravity. Depravity is not an issue of gender. Men and women, both before God, are equally depraved and equally sinful. One is not more sinful than the other. Can anybody say amen to that? So I I know the culture is painting a picture that somehow men are perpetrators and women are not. We are all perpetrators, ground level, before the foot of the cross. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that's harder to say as a man. Gianna did a much better job than I ever could as a woman. Because, you know, you do want to be respectful. I do want to be respectful to women and men equally. But the, the cultural conversation is being orchestrated by the evil one. And men, I want to speak to you. Because as Gianna told us, we are made for greatness. But the enemy through this culture is trying to push us down. We are called to be protectors. We are called to be those who fight against evil. But if you are emasculated, that is a very, very difficult thing to do. So can I ask that God would move amongst us as men to rise us up as the mighty warriors he created us to be. And I'm going to just take a moment and pray for that. Lord God, I thank you for the men in this room. I thank you for the women in this room. Lord, I pray specifically for the men in this room against the forces of evil that seek to oppress them. I thank you that you who live in them is greater than he who is in the world. So I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for a great unleashing of masculinity controlled by the Holy Spirit that we would lead in the way that you intended us to lead. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. They charged straight in. They took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord, and they destroyed with the sword every living thing, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in. And they brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged. They brought them out, their entire family, and they put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. This is the salvation of God's people. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. 
But they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Let's talk about a few truths from this story. We've already talked about quite a bit, but let's talk about a few things. First and foremost, God works in supernatural ways. Now, now this is a very hard conversation because I do pray that this just rocks your world. It's been rocking my world this week for me personally. But, but I, I think that many of us say, yes, we, we are biblical Christ followers. We believe in the Bible, the word of God. And yet so many of us live like we don't. And I'm going to tell you why. Because there's certain things that we have allowed the enemy to infiltrate in such a way that we don't even know we're walking according to the world's way of thinking rather than God's way of thinking. If you really look at Joshua's plan, it's a little bit ludicrous. It's a little bit crazy. I mean, it's bizarre, is it not? We're going to take this city and you're going to march around. It was God's plan that came to Joshua. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed and everybody charged straight in and they took the city. Now, this wall, as I said, was, was pretty crazy. I mean, this was a, a rendering of ancient Jericho, what they think it looked like. And they can tell pretty well from archaeology, archaeology, archaeological discoveries. Um, never, never has an archaeological discovery refuted a biblical claim. You should be equipped with that in this culture. I'm going to say it again. Never has an archaeological discovery refuted a biblical claim. Never. Although there are archaeologists who keep trying to refute biblical claims. So when they first discovered Jericho, they went, oh, <laughs> sorry, Bible people, like we found it and it doesn't bear wait under your story it just never happened never happened and then some other people got involved who were objective and they started digging around too and they went wait a second you didn't get this right here are the walls and they are laying down do you realize that in Jericho when they dug this site they found walls that had fallen in and, and, and they were able to see that the walls that had fallen in had piled up rubble up against other walls so that the people of Israel could just run up those piles and jump over the wall. Do you realize also that it said Rahab's house was up against one of the walls? There was one section on the northern side that did not fall in. And most people believe that's where Rahab lived. Do you know what they found? They found that the city had been completely burned. Do you know what they found? They found that it had not been pillaged. In other words, there were full grains, full jars of grain found in the city that anybody plundering the city would have taken with them. But what did God tell the nation of Israel to do? Do not plunder the city. Do you know what they found? Evidence after evidence after evidence that the biblical account of Jericho was absolutely true. I want you to know something. I believe in the Bible as God's holy word, his inspired word that the spirit reveals to me the truth of God through this double-edged sword that's so sharp it penetrates my heart. I also believe the Bible is the most reliable historical document that we have. And if you don't believe that, go do some research. Because if you listen to the truth of what's going on here, I believe you will discover the thing. This is a book written by God. And these stories are true. 
I tell you, there was a three-tier strategy here, three walls, population of Jericho about two to 3,000, one wall, retaining wall, about 12 to 15 high. Wall two was about 20 to 26 feet high and about six feet thick. And at their base, there was a wall that, that actually kind of the whole thing was about 46 feet high. Can you imagine facing that? And yet what they found was piles of brick that had fallen against the other subsequent walls and all of it fell in so that easily people could have actually just run up into the city as the scripture records. Every claim was validated and God worked in a supernatural way. Now what does that mean? The way that he worked defied scientific reasoning. Now if you're going to live as a supernatural believer in Jesus Christ, somebody who actually discovers the supernatural life, you're going to have to hold a few things loosely. Here's the first thing, what you think. Because I don't know about you, but I read stories like that and I go, ah, it's a great story, but I don't know that could happen here. (laughs) Yes, it could. And you know what? Miracles are happening all around the world in the name of Jesus, even to this day. But you have to hold loosely what you think. You also need to hold even more loosely the way that you think. Let me help you understand something. You have been given a Western scientific mindset. You think very differently than the ancient Hebrew would have thought. The Western scientific mindset says like this. Well, if A, then B, then B, then C, then C, then D. And I have this figured out, God. So things work a particular way. And you look at a cloud and you go, that's a ball of gas. You look at water and you go, that's H2O. Now, the ancient Hebrew looked at water or a cloud and they went, there's a God. You see, we analyze everything to death. And if you are going to believe in the supernatural, you need to let go of some of your reasoning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now, God give you a brain. I'm not telling you not to use it. That would be the other other error. Where you're over here going, well, I guess I should just throw out all reason. No, you use your your brain to reason. God gave you that. I think, frankly, we're not teaching enough logic in the schools nowadays. I don't think we teach reasoning very well. But at the same time, you lean not on your own understanding. That means you're open and ready to receive from God supernatural ways in which he will work. Now, You need to let go of what you think, the way that you think, and you need to let go of what others think. Because if you're going to trust God to actually shabak your way through life and boldly proclaim his goodness and and discover the supernatural life of God, you are going to have to do some things that just frankly look weird to other people. How many people want to look weird to their friends? Couple. You're like, I'm used to it. I'm going to be weird anyway. Most of us don't want to look different. But you are called to be set apart. You are called to be different, and God still works in miraculous ways. He he still calls you to do things that are kind of bizarre, um, supernatural things. Now, I'm just going to tell you a story of one supernatural thing that happened in my life, among others. I've experienced a lot of supernatural activity in my life, but I, I want more of God's activity in my life. I want more of him. Now, some of the things that we often see go by, we don't see the supernatural capacities, but I just want to tell you some of the supernatural things that God did in the claiming of the land that you're now sitting on. Because, you know, a little over 10 years ago, I had a call in my heart, and my wife had a call in her heart, and a few other people had a call in their hearts to plant a little church called Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury here. 
Now, I knew 15 years before that that I was called to plant a church. I just didn't know where. And it ended up being the beautiful downtown Shrewsbury. I thought it was going to be somewhere like, you know, somewhere shabby like Bozeman, Montana. We went to Bozeman, Montana with a pop-up trailer. We went out there. Can I tell you how beautiful Bozeman, Montana is? Oh, my gosh. I was standing there with my best friend in the whole world and his wife and Tracy. They said, we have a salary. We have everything ready for you. Come plant a church in Bozeman. And I'm like, oh, hearing the angels sing. And I'm like, this is it, Lord Jesus. You are calling us to Bozeman. That's like better than Hawaii. And we start driving back across the country and we start praying. Dang, you got to pray. And God says, I don't want you there. It was as if God put a black cloud over Bozeman. And the whole way we're driving home, Tracy and I are looking at each other and going, I want to go to Bozeman. She's like, I want to go to Bozeman. She's like, God doesn't want to go to Bozeman. I know, God doesn't want us to go to Bozeman. And by the time we got back, we had decided that we weren't supposed to be in Bozeman, Montana. Why? Because he had in mind Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania. Now, can I tell you how beautiful Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania is? It's gorgeous. You know why? Because of God's kingdom advancing here. This was God's time and God's place. And many of you know, we started in, Grace, uh, in Shrewsbury Elementary School over there with a team of about 80 people. You know, we launched this thing and we, we quickly outgrew the space. We were putting babies in violin cubicles. How many people were around when we were doing that? Yeah, some people both hands. You're like, yeah, I put the babies there myself. And we were like, okay, this can't work for long. We've got to find some other place. And so we're, pray, you know, we're praying. And even before we went to the school, I checked this place out. And every time I called the realtor named Hill Management, they said, under contract, big box retailer, not available. So I would just wait, and then I'd call back. I would just wait, and then I would call back. And every time I got the same answer. So I got this devoted brother of the Lord, Mark Deering, involved, who's a real estate professional. And we started looking. And we came up and asked about this place again. And we got a little tour, but they offered it to us for this ridiculous price. Like they said, uh, yeah, by the way, you can come in here. You're going to have to pay like 10 times the market value to rent it. And by the way, we're only going to give you a six-month lease. And I went, we are not Ollie's. We are a church. We can't do that. So we said no, and we walked away. And my heart dropped, and I thought, Lord, I, I really, we prayed about this. I thought that land might be in our hand, but then we let go and we went somewhere else and we're looking all around and all of a sudden Mark Deering's with me and he says, hold the door, we just got a call from Hill. We had a significant offer. They, they dropped, they dropped what they wanted to run it to us like by 10 times and they threw in hundreds of thousands of dollars in improvements and they gave us two five-year renewable terms and leases and God was breaking down a wall. Amen. Lord God, he was fighting the battle. He was fighting the battle. So we moved in. Now, we didn't have the money like, to like, like fix the place up. By the way, you are in Kmart. Check this out. The savings place. You are right now sitting under a blue light special. So we moved in, and God provided. God provided again. I went to the elders in Timonium. I said, look, like, we don't know what's going on here. But, and they said, well, we'll lend you the money. Really? What, what happened? You know, and they just lent us some money to actually start building this. And then we raised support, and people, God's people started responding. And, and money was coming in to actually build this out, half of it. And so we're in here for a couple of years, and I don't know the exact dates, but I get a call from Hill Management, and they said, Pastor Jeff, I said, yes. They said, would you like to exercise your first right of refusal? I said, why? What happened? She said, well, we've had a significant offer on the shopping center. We've been offered $2 million, 
cash and we're going to sell it. Would you like to buy it? I said, well, I'd like to buy it, but we don't have any money. And she said, that's not going to work. And I said, dag. So here's the thing. If, if the shopping center got bought by something else, somebody else, then they, when our lease ran out, they could have done all kinds of things. And so we just go to prayer. We just go to prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, like, we ask that your will be done, that your kingdom would come right here on this hill as it is in heaven. And so God has a plan. So some smart Alec here on the body comes up to me. He goes, well, did you ever think about going down there and meeting with the owner of the building and just asking him to give you the whole property? I said, that's a really ludicrous plan. And I went, no. And then I walked away and God said, yes. And so it was crazy, right? I felt a little weird, but I grabbed Mark and we went down there and we, we called this meeting and this guy who owned the building, I mean, I don't know him at all, but he had been, de he'd been described by many people as kind of a ruthless businessman. I, I don't think he knew the Lord. I knew the Lord knew him, though. So I'm sitting there, and he's, I'm sitting there, like, you know, kind of dressed in my jeans and a T-shirt, and he's got all these guys around the table in three-piece suits, and Mark's sitting there with me, and I'm like a pastor. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I just said, hey, hi, hi. Um, We'd really like to have your building, and I want to tell you why. And I told him it was for the glory of God. And I said, we had plans to reach the community with the message of Jesus Christ, and we wanted to care for people's basic needs in order to build relationships so that they would come to know him and his love. And, and I felt like, just weird as all get out, but the Shekinah glory of the Lord was over me. And I would look at Mark, and Mark just kept smiling. And so I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking, and these three-piece suits are sitting there like a bunch of Germanic people like this, you know. And um, all of a sudden, the guy who owns the property goes, whoa, stop, stop. And I'm talking, I go, what? And he goes, can you write that down? I said, sure, why? He said, I want to tell my dad. And I'll never forget what happened in the room. God broke that man's heart. He started penetrating his heart. And I said, well, so at the end of our meeting, I said, so can we have the shopping center? He said, no, I won't give it to you. I said, well, would you consider owner financing? He's like, Jeff, I got a $2 million cash offer in my hand. Why would I finance this thing to you over a number of years? I got $2 million cash. I want to get out of it. I said, well, can I at least ask you to think about it or pray about it or do whatever you do? And he said he would. And so we walked away. And three days later, he called me back and he said, we're going we're gonna to give you the building. We're going to owner finance you the building. We're going we're gonna to finance you the building. And so... We're like, what? You're going to own or fight? Really? That's incredible. They're, they're gonna, like God put it in our hands. And so not only that then, but then John Eckstein, who was here on staff at the time, he was working with Fulton Bank, and Fulton Bank wouldn't finance this. Nobody would finance this at the time. And he went back to Fulton. He said, we'll see you in a year. And they went, well, why? He said, well, we got owner financing. They said, what? Wait a second. You got owner financing? We said, yeah. And they said, oh, wait a second. We're going to have an emergency meeting. They called all their managers together. They called us back the next day, and they said, no, we're going to finance you at a much better interest rate. We're going to actually give you the money for the building. And we were able to buy this hill by the grace of God. I'll tell you, I still remember sitting with Alan Urban in his car up there in York at a lawyer's office. And we're sitting at the curb after we got out of this meeting where we signed the papers. He looks at me and goes, did we just buy a shopping center? I'm like, dude, I, I think that's what happened. God put this land in our hands for a purpose. 
Now, I want to say, and I could talk to you about this for a long time, but it's, it wasn't just us. It was those that went before us. There were people driving stakes in this parking lot 10 years before we ever got here. There were people praying over this land for the glory of God long before we ever came here. That's the way God works. But see, God broke down walls, and if you were a part of that picture, just raise your hand. You see, we were laying hands on this building and asking God to break down walls. On October 21st, we're going to lay hands on the region. We're going to ask God to break down walls. It's time for us to move in this way, and I think he has a plan. I know he does. Lesson number two, not only is God working supernatural ways, but our faith and participation are essential. Now look, we have to do some wigged out things according to the culture to trust God in such a way we must be willing not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And that means you need to listen and hear the voice of God. That takes practice. You need to go to the word of God. You need to be with the people of God. You need to trust the spirit of God. But as you hear from God, you are set apart. You are called to be markedly different than the people around you and exercise faith. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You see, it's by grace through faith, a gift of God. But you must receive it which means you believe it you believe it so in doing this I want you to know that you're going to look different than the people around you I want you to watch this little video quick that kind of points out to you the difficulties of breaking societal norms let's just take a look the gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star these folks who are entering the man with a white shirt the lady with a trench coat and subsequently, one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, He looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. <laughs> a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... See if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. 
All right, now, so that was um, Alan Funt with Candid Camera. How many of you remember Alan Funt with Candid Camera, right? Yeah, okay. So <clears throat> a couple points I want to make from this video. It's pretty funny, right? Now, some of you are sitting there going, I would never do that. Can I encourage you to check yourself again? Yes, you would. And yes, you are. You were created to live in community. But that community was supposed to have a godly purpose. And that community was supposed to be governed by God himself. The power of community is powerful indeed. You are like a pack animal. You want to follow those around you. But you have to understand, the way in which you've been formed here on planet Earth is you need to be reformed in the purpose of God, for the purpose of God. Because if you are going to fight this battle and boldly proclaim that God is good, if you are going to trust him in such a way that he is glorified in and through you, you need to be different. Not just different for different sake. You need to be willing to listen and obey. Because there's just no other way for God to be glorified in your life. I don't know what that looks like for you today. I don't know what that looks like for you next week because I'm not God. But if you are listening, if you are listening, he will tell you. The question is, are you willing to trust him and boldly walk, boldly proclaim his goodness in the midst of this battle? Because if you are, I will tell you that the enemies of God will flee. The enemies of God do not stand a chance against the people of God when empowered by the Spirit of God. This is the story of our great God. This is the story of Jericho. And I want to tell you, you live in a time where there is great evil afoot. Now, I don't know if you listen to the news. I try and not listen to it too much. But I have to say that I'm going to make a spiritual political statement today, and I don't really care whether you like it or not. Um, because, you know, here's a couple things. Like when we talk about geopolitical, we talk about all these kinds of things. God is concerned with all of life. God is concerned with all of life. And Jesus wants all of us to be in all of life for him. So if you've seen the news recently, there's a gathering of witches in New York City. Over a thousand witches that are coming together to put a hex on Justice Brett Kavanaugh. This is going to happen on October 20th in Brooklyn, and they're encouraging witches and occultists and Wiccan people around the world to join them in placing a hex not only on Brett Kavanaugh, but on anybody who's hurt anybody. I'm going to get into that in a second. This is an article. It's all over the news. You can look it up. Occultist witches in Brooklyn, New York, are so incensed with the confirmation of Justice Brett Kavanaugh that they are gathering to put a hex on him. It's a binding spell. And in this hex, they will light candles and perform rituals. They will take, they've encouraged you to participate at home. And I'm just going to tell you, this is what's going on. I'm not making this up. They've encouraged people to participate at home by making a paper doll and putting a picture of Brett Kavanaugh's face on it and then taking a pin and pushing it through his genitals. Um, and then, you know, and then burning him and then um, offering prayers to other people, people that have wounded, have been wounded, so on and so forth. And I just want to read you, this is from the organizer of the event, um, Catlin, which bills itself as Baltimore's premier metaphysical shop and event space, will host a ritual. They will donate 25% of all the proceeds to Planned Parenthood. Sure, a, a modern, modern organization of child sacrifice. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, please join us for this public hex on Brett Kavanaugh upon all rapists and the patriarchy at large, which emboldens, rewards, and protects them. We are embracing witchcraft's true roots as the magic of the poor, the downtrodden, and the disenfranchised. Listen, he masquerades as an angel of light. And its history is often as the only weapon, the only means of exacting justice available to those who've been wronged by men just like him. He will be our focal point, but by no means the only target. So bring your rage. Bring all of the axes you've got to grind, the invitation continues. There will be a second ritual afterwards, the rites of the scorned one, which will seek to validate, affirm, uphold, and support those who have been wronged and who refuse to be silent any longer. How many of you have been wronged? What does Jesus Christ say to do with your wrong? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Would you sing that with me? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Jesus Christ says, pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who treat you wrong so that your Father in heaven may be glorified. Do you realize that there is the presence of God amongst us, but there is a counter presence? He does not want to make his face known. But as the days get shorter and the end times are coming sooner, you will see that he is becoming more and more visible in the culture. The question is, will you and I step up and boldly proclaim the goodness of God so that the kingdom of God becomes more visible as the days pass. I want to challenge you today. I'd like us to stand together. And before we sing this song, I would like for each one of us to pray. I don't want you just to pray for Brett Kavanaugh. I don't want you just to pray for his family. A lot of us have been doing that. Praise the Lord. I want you to pray for every single one of these witches. I want you to pray that they would experience the light and love and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to pray for them. Look, they say that over a thousand witches in New York are coming together to do this thing. There are over a thousand people coming into this place today. So I don't know which witch you're praying for. Which witch you're praying for? That's pretty interesting, isn't it? But God knows which witch you're praying for. That's fun to say. So if each one of us just prays right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, for one of these witches, that God's kingdom would come in their lives, that God's will would be done, that he would break the yoke of captivity, that he would break the yoke of slavery, that he would break the bondage of resentment and hatred that has filled their souls, because he is the only one that can do that. And by the way, that is the greatest miracle of God, a changed heart. So I'd like you to pray now, aloud, please, if you're the one kind of person that prays aloud, I want you to pray aloud. We're all going to pray aloud at the same time. We're going to trust God to lead us in this, and then I'm going to pray for us as we go into this last song. So let's pray together aloud, please, for these witches, for Brett Kavanaugh, and God's kingdom come.
Father God, we are your children. You have given us kingdom authority to bind and loosen. In the name of Jesus Christ, we bind up these hexes right now by his power and through the power of his Holy Spirit. We bind up these hexes in the heavenlies and we send them back to their place of origin with a spirit of forgiveness and loving kindness and peace. We pray, Lord God, for each one of these people that have been so deceived, Lord God. We pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, which is mighty, that you would move in their hearts and their minds, God, to awaken them to who you are and what you are doing here on planet Earth, and that you would cause them to repent, Lord God, that they too would be proud to say, I am Rahab, that they would be brought out of the house of destruction into the house of love, the house of peace, the house of the King. And Lord, we thank you that you who live in us is greater than he who is in the world. For we have no reason to fear, for we will fear no evil. Your rod, well, you're with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Surely our cup overflows. We thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness. And we pray now that you would give us your spirit to shout to you with one voice for your glory and your glory alone. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.